For a large selection of Bibles and Christian books, stop by the Utah Christian Research Center. The Utah Christian Research Center is open Wednesday through Saturday at 10 a.m. Located one mile west of the I-15 at 579 West Galena Park Place in Draper, Utah. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. In last week's set of programs, we were discussing the story of Jane Elizabeth Manning James. She was a black convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints during the time of Joseph Smith, living in Nauvoo, Illinois, which of course was populated primarily by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We cited last week from an essay that is on the official website, churchofjesuschrist.org, that talked about the racism that Jane Manning James faced. In fact, the first paragraph ends by saying, racism was an obstacle Jane would confront the rest of her life. The reason why we focused in on that sentence is because When you consider the fact that she lived in an area that was primarily populated by members of her church, you might ask, well, what kind of a statement is that? And the point we were bringing out, and we used examples to support it, what she went through was primarily caused by the very church that she was a member of. And I know we were talking about whether something is a doctrine or a policy, but You can play around with those words, Eric, but the fact is, this is the way the church operated. The leaders felt that blacks should not hold the priesthood, and there were certain restrictions given to black members that were not given to other members in the church. The book that we're citing from, Saints, and it's titled Boldly, Nobly, and Independent, I mentioned last week, was somewhat transparent in bringing out a lot of this sensitive information that I don't think 30, 40 years ago we would be reading things like this. So I do commend the church for at least touching this subject, which is probably a huge embarrassment to the leadership of the church to begin with. Oh, you're being generous there, I think, when you say 30 or 40 years. I don't think they would have been doing this 10 years ago. With the Gospel Topics essays, that was seemingly the first openness that we've seen from the Church in many, many years, from 2013 to 2015. I don't think you would have seen that kind of honesty in 2010. And you're probably right. You're probably right. Maybe I am being a little too generous. I don't know. But anyway, Jane Manning James was a faithful member of the church. And so for the essay that I just cited to say that racism was an obstacle that she would confront the rest of her life, that's a huge statement. Because when you think about it, you had Joseph F. Smith, who was the president of the church. He spoke at her funeral, but at the same time, not even he could grant some of the requests that Jane Manning James asked for during her lifetime that any other member would have already had, and she was refused. 
we want to bring out the fact that this race issue is something that didn't go away with Jane Manning James, that's for sure. It goes on and on until ultimately the church in 1978 comes out with a, a position reversing males of black African heritage from holding this priesthood and also could not be sealed to family members and such like that. And as we brought out last week, some of the statements that are made in this book are even downright wrong. I mean, when they referred to, for instance, Brigham Young's statement that a day was coming when all those of black African heritage would eventually get the priesthood, the book does not cite that accurately. It takes Brigham Young out of context, and we showed last week why we think he was taken out of context. He wasn't saying that that was going to happen during our mortality. He wasn't predicting it was going to happen anytime around the 1970s. That was not supposed to happen until after this mortality is over. And even Joseph Fielding Smith that we cited last week said it was going to happen on another world somewhere. So this was not something that Brigham Young was predicting to happen during our lifetimes or his lifetime or even Joseph Fielding Smith's lifetime. And I think the book was uh, misleading when it tries to bring out this idea that Brigham Young was somehow a champion in the idea that, hey, don't worry, though, guys, someday that's going to be lifted and everything will be okay. And, and Jane Manning James was actually promised that very thing from Patriarch John Smith who was Joseph F. Smith's older brother. It says on page 133, he told Jane Manning James, be patient, wait a little longer. He had said, assuring her that the Lord had his eye on her. He promised that the Lord would be far better to her than ever she had dreamed. And the book says, to the end of her life, she retained a hope that she might one day receive all temple blessings. Well, of course, she never did. Getting back to this idea about racism in the church, it's going to haunt the church. The reason it's going to haunt the church is because leaders in the church were treating this as if it was, in fact, a doctrine. And again, Mormons might want to argue this. What was it, a doctrine or a policy? We are of the position this was a doctrine. It was said to be a doctrine. And the reasons for the ban have to be taken into consideration. It just didn't happen out of nowhere. There were reasons behind this. And the book downplays a lot of those reasons as if that wasn't really doctrine. They were just, they were just the ideas of, of some individuals. Well, those individuals were running the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That cannot be overlooked. We go on in the book Saints, and we get to page 243. And again, the race issue comes up in this book. I want to say it once more. I appreciate that the church, in putting this book together, addresses this issue and brings out this very sensitive topic because it is embarrassing when it comes to their history. They were on the wrong side of history. We know that. And I'm not saying that professing Christians were, were never on the wrong side of history when it came to race because certainly many of them were wrong on that issue. But I think when we're dealing with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the claim that they have always held for themselves, that they are the only true church on the face of the earth, I don't think we should be able to give them such an easy pass on this subject. You would think that if their leaders were really speaking to God or God was speaking to them, that this would have been something that was taken care of. And there's a statement in the section we're going to be looking at in this series that I think 
will bring out that point very clearly. But at the bottom of page 243, it starts off by saying, around this time, many white Americans were growing unsettled by changes happening in the United States. So what is this time when it says around this time? Well, the context that it gives us is at the top of page 243 where it's talking about the spring of 1925. That's the date that we are given. So we could say that around 1925, many white Americans were growing unsettled by changes happening in the United States. Now, we could argue that there was probably a lot of concern about some of the changes in the United States prior to the 1920s, certainly after the 1920s. But we're just going by what the book says. So let's start with that paragraph at the bottom of page 243, Eric. Millions of African-Americans and immigrants were moving to northern U.S. cities to escape discrimination and find better employment. Their presence alarmed many working-class whites who were afraid of losing their jobs to the newcomers. As resentment grew, hate groups like the Ku Klux Klan, which used secrecy and violence to brutalize blacks and other minorities, gained members across the country. Heber J. Grant watched the spread of hate groups with dismay. Decades earlier, Klan members had sometimes assaulted missionaries in the American South. Such attacks on saints had stopped, but recent reports of the Klan's actions were no less troubling. Well, the mention of Heber J. Grant, of course, now we can really put a time on this. Heber J. Grant was president of the LDS Church between 1918 and 1945, so that's the time period that we are looking at. Heber J. Grant is seeing the increase of hate groups such as the Klan, and I'm not doubting the fact that he was probably dismayed by this, didn't like this. But then it goes on in the next paragraph to say, quote, the number of whippings, murders, and the mob violence laid at the door of this organization made a sad page in the history of the South. End quote. Now, that's a statement that was made by the president of the Southern States Mission, who wrote President Grant in 1924. What else did he go on to say? There have been no convictions for these crimes. The spirit of lawlessness and violence that has swept over the South is exactly the same as that which inspired the Gadianton robbers. Now, the Gadianton robbers, that, that's a, a group that is named in the Book of Mormon. If you're not familiar with that name, this is where it's found. It's found in Helaman chapter 2. What does it specifically say about the Gadianton robbers in, in chapter 2? Verse 10, it says, And it came to pass that Helaman did send forth to take this band of robbers and secret murderers that they might be executed according to the law. Now, the book goes on on page 244 to say, Throughout the 1920s, hate groups fed on widespread racism, which could be found in every region of the United States and in other areas of the world. In 1896, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled that state laws allowing the separation of white and black Americans in schools, churches, restrooms, railroad cars, and other public facilities were legal. Furthermore, popular novels and films demeaned black people and other racial, ethnic, and religious groups with harmful stereotypes. Few people in the United States or elsewhere believe black and white people should mingle socially. 
Now, again, I think this is an admission by the writers of this book to not separate the feelings of many Latter-day Saints when it comes to the race issue. So when we read, few people in the United States or elsewhere believe black and white people should mingle socially, I'm taking that, Eric, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm taking that as somewhat of an admission that Latter-day Saints were not exempt from this feeling. There probably were a lot of members of the church who had similar feelings, as did a lot of other people, including people in the South. This is, to me, quite an admission on the part of the church. Now, in order to understand this more fully, we probably should go into a little bit what Plessy versus Ferguson was all about, because that's the 1896 Supreme Court ruling that it's mentioning, even though it doesn't use that title in the text itself. But that was a land, what they call a landmark ruling. And this is, again, where the separate but equal clause did come from. And the case stemmed from an 1892 incident in which African-American train passenger Homer Plessy what is interesting about Homer Plessy is he claimed that he, that he was mostly white. And a lot of people probably don't realize that. Uh, he said that he was seven-eighths Caucasian and one-eighth African blood. Why does that stand out to us when we're making a study on race issues in this time period? And we'll talk about that in tomorrow's show. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.